Hey, this is Kate, and welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. Has it been that long that you forgot what this was? Yes. Well, and also normally you're like, let's check your levels, but I guess whatever. It doesn't matter if people can hear me today. I am an audio professional at this point. You are an audio professional, which is why it hurts when you don't check my levels, because I know you care about these things, so... This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. And we've had a little hiatus, which was a little bit longer than we thought it was going to be, because why? Like, because you were sick and traveling and just... Yeah, I got sick. Life got lifey. Life got lifey, So I did not coin... Someone else said that, but it's a good good term. So um, we're back, and it has been an eventful week, and we thought we would do something a little bit special for this first podcast cast of the year of our Lord 20 and 23 and sort of looking at um, the astonishment of being here and the privilege of um, having the ability to really shape our lives in intentional ways. And so just kind of what we are thinking about, we really want to, um, lean into in the coming year. And we've done this one other time on this podcast. And um, and the result was? Well, A, we can't remember what we said. <laughs> and we suspect that we did not, um, whatever. It, it was aspirational. And I, vaguely, I, think, I vaguely remember we said something about running more. And did we, was that the time well, we I talked was, about? At one point we talked about training for a mini marathon. And I don't know if oh, that ever happened. I never talked about that with you. Um, I, cause I've done that and I don't need to do it again. Um, no, I, I, I remember that I said I was going to run more and write more and then the pandemic happened. So like I, there, there's a part of me that just feels like it was whatever happened at that Wuhan lab and also us. <laughs> so anyway, we're doing it again. Um, so, and I don't, I mean, I'm a bad friend because I don't remember what you said. I don't remember what I said. So okay. it's all good. Um, so what do you say now on the threshold of this new year? Well, being like as, legitimately grateful to be here and to do this, to be astonished at this year. Well, you know, it's been, you know, not only for me and my family, but for a lot of people, again, 2022 was a challenging year. Um, we took care of my mother-in-law, uh, who is um, struggling with um, Parkinson's and Parkinson's-related dementia, and uh, she is now um, back in California with other family. Um, but it was it was really challenging, and it was uh, especially challenging for my wife to um, care for the woman who raised her and mm-hmm. cared for her and. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes with that. And, and so, raised, I mean, not raised, but cared for Matthew for the first two years. Absolutely. Yes. Life. Yes. She lived with us when, when our son was born and was just a great help as we were navigating being new parents and, um, not that, um, very long into marriage. And so, um, yeah, great role reversal. And so 2022 was very difficult. And so now in 2023, as a family, as you know, this household in North Carolina, we are trying to find our our balance again. Um, uh, it's kind of worn out, but truly and sincerely, we're looking for our new normal. And we felt like we have not been um, 
in balance for <laughs> several years now. And so um, that's one of those things we're going to be very intentional about. I was saying to you before we started recording that um, my wife and my child are thinking a trip to Disney. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, well you do know I, how you I feel, about it. feel about it. I, I, and I would um, add, you feel correctly about it. It, it, it um, not high on my list of places to go, but for the sake of my family's joy, I do love traveling with my family. We always have fun when we travel. Um, I, I'm just uncertain about that as the des destination. Um, but uh, yeah, that's high on our, our list to reconnect and recalibrate as a family. I'm also thinking about uh, a sabbatical. I'm beginning my seventh year as the pastor of Derida Church. Um, I'm let's see, next month I'm beginning my what twenty fifth, twenty sixth year of ordination. I've never had a sabbatical, and it's challenging to think about going away when you're the pastor of a small church. Um, when you are in a large church with lo with lots of resources, you know you get the associate to preach and you can go away. And I'm sure there's there's work there, but for small churches, as soon as I mentioned sabbatical to our elders um on the one hand they were like yes this would be very good for you you need this deserve this um and then that was followed by oh what are we going to do during that right. time right and and that's that's very legit uh but we are we're working on it even if it's even if it's as simple as i don't preach for Let's say ten weeks. We bring in a supply preacher, um, and I I may disconnect um, uh, from the pulpit ministry, stay connected in other areas, maybe you know funerals, that sort of thing. Um, but for the most part, I know I need to take time in twenty twenty three um, to think through to reconnect with my own um, spiritual life. Um, and I know that I need a season of renewal and refreshing and rest, frankly. I just need a season of rest because for better or for worse, um, probably a little bit of both, um, because of the few hands that we have you know, during the pandemic, I just took on a lot mm -hmm. um, as the pastor of Dariah Church. And frankly, you know, I, I overdid it. Mm -hmm. overdid it. And so now as we think about the next phase of ministry, I know it's going to require me to um to be rested, to be renewed, to be uh sharper than I've been the past 6 months. Um and uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to some some sabbatical time. And I'm thinking, you know, the period between um um, period following Easter through about midsummer is what I'm thinking. Interesting. Well, I um, have four R's. Wait, hold on, hold on. So when we talk about preaching, I know I don't. I think what, it's hold cheesy on. for preaching. <laughs> yes, when we talk about preaching, and I have three, four points, alliteration. Yeah, and I mock Holy you. Holy cow, that. you make fun of I me. I do, I do. Yeah, you go, I, oh. Right, right, because the the because let's so so, so what's the difference because, here? Because because when we're preaching, 
this is like ultimate transcendent speech and I just think it should be gimmickless but we all know that I'm not going to keep these pseudo resolutions anyway and so it's fine <laughs> just to like whatever this okay so just... let's let's go with it four four okay, hours so I rest rest okay. I, I know that um I think as a congregation as a, as a family I deeply believe that flourishing comes from the Lord and that the fruit that is born is born by God. I believe that and I've experienced that. Um, but I don't always line up my actions for that. Like I still am just very influenced by this need, um, to do enough and, um, to perform faithfulness. And I think what's hard is in the culture, I mean, you know, that, when someone asks you how you are, you're supposed to stay busy and, right. you know, it's just to sort of have a, a, a life that is, um, has some healthy balance is just perceived as like, well, you're, you're a loser, right? Like you're just not very in demand or you don't care very much. Um, and I also, there's this real truth of just the privilege of that. Like I know so many people I care so deeply of just, about are stuck in really crushing systems and they don't get rest. They don't get to work a reasonable amount, you know? And so then there's a part of wanting to be in solidarity with people that says like, well, if other people have to, you know, work all day and then come home and caretake all night and manage 17 crises, like who am I to not do that too? And I think um, just really deeply recognizing that, um, I don't know, mimicking dysfunction that people aren't even choosing for themselves is actually not, that's not solidarity. And so, I, and I also think um, it's really important as a pastor that we're really modeling what our deepest hearts desire for the people in our communities are. And I just think that God has no slaves and God is a God of liberation and deliverance. And so, um, one of the things that we have to, um, one of the gifts that Jesus gives us is our enoughness in Christ and permission and even command to rest and to see what happens when we are not fueled by anxiety. Um, so anyway, so that is a goal and it's not, I don't feel like I have not, I mean, I feel like I've been okay about resting as well, but just, I, I think, I mean, I've said before on this podcast, I think one of the scariest things I've ever had to say from the pulpit to my congregation is I do not work too hard at, for this church. I don't. And it feels so, um, it feels like you feel guilty and ashamed of saying that, um, so anyway, I, I just think I need to continue not both doing it and, and being really intentional. And also, I think sometimes I just like, I work, I work, I work, I work, and then I just get totally overwhelmed and yes. I just sort of collapse and yes. veg and, you know, and I justify it like, okay, well, since I have, you know, worked nonstop for the past three days, it's okay for me to lie here and like veg on the couch. And I think just sort of, trying to be more intentional about um, having a, a rhythm that I don't feel like I have to be 
completely depleted in order to rest. And I, I mean, I just have a hard time because it's so, I am so addicted to accomplishing tasks. And so even, you know, if I have a day, it's not that like, I feel really free about, you know, if I have a day off and somebody calls me and I'll answer the call or I, you know, if somebody's in the hospital, I want to go visit them. And that feels very faithful to me, but you know, I'm just like, Oh, I could just connect this person with that person. And I can just send that email and I can just do that. You know, it's just really hard to feel like if I just do 17 tasks, then I can feel good about resting instead of receiving rest as a gift. And also I just feel like I can't, I need to be able to learn to rest in mess because that's the other thing is I just feel like, well, I don't want to waste rest unless I feel virtuous, right? Like I'd rather just, you know, straight at the house and organize that closet and, you know, do that thing, you know, do all those things and then I'll rest and I will enjoy resting because I don't have these things, you know, so I just feel like I really need, I I just want to be more intentional about committing to here's where I'm resting and like letting, letting it be uncomfortable and just doing it anyway. So I say two things about that and um, I want to hear the other R's. Um, One, I find that, you know, when I've worked and worked and worked and worked and then I collapse, in the collapse, I discover that, oh, the rest of the world and the church goes on without me just fine. Mm -hmm. I thought I was holding up, (laughs) holding up a bunch of things. And no, it's, it's an illusion. So you can, you can rest before you collapse. The other thing that comes to mind is I'm... I'm always um, surprised, and I shouldn't be, by that place in uh, the book of Exodus where God sends Moses to Pharaoh, you know, right, let my people go. Hmm. And God's, the why, God says, let my people go, it's not so that they can go build a nation. Mm -hmm. It's not so that they can go do a bunch of things. Let my people go so that they might worship me. Mm-hmm. That's astonishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think two things, and and I, um, we're gonna do a worship series on Sabbath at the Grove in February, which I'm just thinking about. Um, but I, yes, like I really like Abraham Heschel talks about, um, you know, in the Jewish tradition, Sabbath begins at sundown. So it doesn't wake up in the morning to your day off, but you get to the end and sundown and then your day stop starts, your rest starts, your rest period, your 24 hour period starts and it goes from sundown to sundown. And he says that the reason is the first thing you do on your Sabbath is you go to sleep so that you can wake up in the morning and go like, oh, look, the world's still here. Right. So it's just this intrinsic reminder that you are unnecessary. And I think that is, is really helpful because, you know, we, we put all this virtue signaling over it. Like I, you know, I work too hard. I care too much and blah, blah, blah. But right. the reality is like, there's just a lot of pride and ego in not stopping. My wife said to me recently, um, well, she asked me, what are you trying to prove? Mm-hmm. It's like you, you work in a way which says you are trying to prove something to somebody. Right. And I think, you know, part of it is like, oh, you just want to show people that you care about them so much and you care about them, quote, enough. And the reality is like, you don't. I I mean, like God does, but you are just, 
not going to be able to outperform your limits and your deficiencies and sort of having a right understanding of or an acceptance of like this is me in my real limited and flawed humanity and I don't need to impress anyone and I think that's the bottom line and I think all throughout scripture like really no one is impressive except for Jesus and I think that just in a Christian community like we we have taken in America anyway like taking Christianity and like found a way to co-opt it into like exceptional individualism and like you know I am impressive for Jesus. And the reality is like, I'm not impressive and um, I don't need to be impressive. Like what I need to be is full of Christ and at peace with, you know, remember, remember your size. So anyway, um, yeah, I think that, that for me is a lot, like it's not cute, it's ego. And um, I just want some healing in that. So um, rest. And then I have less to say about the others. I just, I read, I mean, I read a lot, but I, I also have a bad habit of like starting something and getting um, sort of, I don't know, two thirds in and then squirrel and I move to something else. And so I, you know, I just have a lot of um, people that I want to have conversations with and um, I don't like to travel and it's just not a real helpful thing at this stage of my family's life. Um, It's just not worth it, frankly. But, um, but I, you know, reading, you know, I don't need to go to a conference. Like I can buy your book for 20 bucks and sit here and read it. And then I'm great. So, um, just more reading, more resting, more running. I really want us to run again. And that's because I care about you and I want you to live for a very wait, long wait, time. Wait, 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 hold on. Yeah. It's really Hold for on. You. Yeah, it's, for it's, you. Really... it's for you. It's all for you. Um, <laughs> you, you tried to slide it <laughs> in. Ignore oh, this, any unfortunate. This um, is for you. Really? It's for mm, me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I, I do want to run more. And then I, I'm, we should run more. Yeah. And by yeah. more would mean any, <laughs> Um, and I do think like, look, we used to, I used to, and we together used to like run a lot and then we quit. And then I think like, you're just like, oh gosh, there's no point if we can't do three miles. And like, we just, that's not where we are. And so I do think it's kind of a spiritual discipline of saying like, look, you built up to where you were, you start where you are and, and you do what you can and you accept that. And anyway, and then the last thing is writing. It's my fourth R writing. Cause I am trying to finish this, um, this book project, which I am also just trying to be, force myself to be more transparent about because I um, feel called to do it. I'm very overwhelmed by it. It's something that I, frankly, my feelings, I don't feel like I can do it in the sense of, um, I feel like I'm going to quit. So I think it's just, it's, I'm just trying to be more um, okay with the fact that failure is just part of the human experience and that might happen. Um, and I need the encouragement of folks around me and frankly, the, um, accountability, um, because I do think, um, I have been given by the Lord everything I need in order to be faithful to this task. And so, um, I just need to, um, you know, commit to, to being more intentional and I'm supposed to have this book finished, by May. So <laughs> that's a lot. So I need to get it. Wow. I need to get on it. So I have, you know, I think I, I have, but you've been writing more lately. I right? mean, I have, yeah. I have, I have, uh, three chapters that are pretty solidly drafted out. And then I have, um, like two other chapters that are uh, close to being the end of a first draft. And I, and it's a, uh, I think an 11 chapter book. So, um, 
and obviously a first draft is a far distance from the finish line. But I think that like this for me in this year, just, you know, I think when you're in a younger series stage of your life, like I watch my kids and all the time they have to step up and do something that's just expected of them and their experiences. I can't do this. And we're like, well, yes, you can. And you don't know that you can do it because you've never done it before. And particularly one of my daughters, I'm always just saying like, look, what the amount that, I mean, this is ironic in the context of our resting conversation, but you know, the effort that seems reasonable to you is just actually not like you just need to do this that you don't want to do. And it's harder than you think you can stand it. And it actually is reasonable. And you just like your calibration is off. And I think that for me, just recognizing like there's not really any different wiring or orientation towards people who finish these projects. They just like sit in the suck and the hard of like, you know, this, I can't finish this in a day and I have to put it down and walk away. And, and I think there's a discipline. There's a huge discipline. And. And I mean, an ability, like, I think that's, you know, when we write sermons, especially when I write sermons or articles or whatever, like I sit down, I write it and then I get up and it's an hour later later or an hour and a half later and it's done. And I just can't approach that in this way. And so I just don't, um, so you just feel like, well, I'm 47 years old. If I could do this, I'd already have done it. And the reality is I don't think that that's true. And I just think like ultimately spiritually, I'm not done growing in Christ. I don't want to like for the rest of my life, not, you know, there are going to be some challenges that come to us, unfortunately, and we've got no say, like learning how to grieve people we love or, you know, but I, I also just want to accept some new um, challenges and, and really like just experience what the provision and acceptance of Christ looks like in the struggle of that. Um, so it's really a, a spiritual journey for me. So those are those are my things. Um, and you have nothing to say. Well, that's just fine. <laughs> oh, because I I'm not. I thought. I was going to be surprised. I'm like, oh, yeah, those fit. Th those seem I mean, these right. are the same thing. I mean, I think that's the other thing. Um, well, these are the same things we've been going on for, for years. Like, nothing yes. about this is... Here's, here's yeah. what bothers me every January. So every January, we get bombarded with messages that can be summed up in the theme or the slogan, New Year, New You. Right. Right? And if I hear that one more time, I think I'm going to scream. It suggests that when January 1 comes, that we can press some kind of reset button and be new, start over, start fresh. I'm like, no, we're carrying the same us from the previous year into the new year. Things that are left undone are brought into the new year. So, yeah, I, I guess I shouldn't look to be surprised well, by... I, yeah you know, what you're looking at in 2023. And I think like the, the culture and sometimes the marketplace Christianity just continues to try to market our faith as like a magic button mm -hmm. <laughs> or self-help. And like, you know, these things will just go away if you figure out how to do Jesus right. And I, I think, um, it's just truer. And so ultimately freeing to recognize that a life of obedience and discipleship feels not like 
a catalyst moment where everything changes. You might have one of those, but mostly it feels like Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. And it's just, it is unglamorous. You mostly see change in retrospect, not as you walk it out. And it's not, it's not dazzling. And I think our, our need to be dazzled at all moments, um, is, is really robs us of, um, the, the gift of the present. <laughs> well, but I'm if you see, I'd never use that in a sermon because well, it's, you know, it's very cheesy. If you look at Peter, the disciple of Jesus in the gospels and then read the letters of Peter, um, in the latter part of the New Testament, sometimes you wonder if it's the same person. Mm-hmm. So this, this, um, quick to speak, <laughs> quick to act, this impulsive disciple of Jesus, um, later in life became this apostle talking about patient endurance under persecution. Um, and some somewhere <laughs> on that road, Peter changed, but there wasn't a particular moment well i mean i think two things in response to that one thing that frustrates me about a lot of the sort of canonical scholarship is that people explain that disconnect by saying like well that's not really peter right Right. so they'll say you know there's a there's a term in like greco-roman world called pseudography and so people would write in the names of other well-renowned people in order to get um readership and it wasn't understood as plagiarism or dishonest you might be a student of peter and you would write in peter's name and so you know a lot of the canonical scholars um some of whom are not actually um part of a spiritual journey with jesus so they're studying these as sort of inert documents and they say like well duh you idiots like how you know what what kind of fools thinks like a change like that is impossible and i think the reality is um I obviously I don't know who wrote those letters. I know that they are sacred scripture. Um, but I do also think that a lot of what we see in Peter's representations in the gospel um, is is just a lot of un, unhealed anxiety and pain and trauma. And, and what I do think is that once, you know, post the post-resurrection, you know, Peter really did have a reorientation um of, of to himself in the world, and so there there was a, a space of deep change, and you see post resurrection, um, a, a, you know, a, a a vision of what someone's unique giftedness and createdness can look like in a in a heal, you know, once they're wholly healed and alive in Christ, and like to me that's important, and I don't want to just dismiss out of hand this idea that um, there isn't a real, that that isn't a true thing that happens regardless of what the scripture, you know, whatever the authorship of the different scriptures are. Like obviously the whole point for people who practice Christianity is that in Christ people are changed. Um, And I think, you know, Paul's another example of, you know, he has this, moment of catalyst, but you can see that pre and post Damascus road, Paul's pretty much the same person. It's just redeployed. But I do think Peter is an example of someone who just really is, you know, refined and recreated in a way that, you know, it could have 
gone very differently for him. And I think, you know, that's... And if we can see that in Peter, then we can see that in ourselves in terms of that long road of discipleship that brings transformation. And then we should be able to see it um, in the country, in the world. For example, when it comes to an issue like racism, this is something that we're just walking out for the long haul, Mm -hmm. right? Well, and I think that that's part of the thing for me when I'm thinking about sort of where I am in my stage of life that, you know, we, we, I think that there's a real danger of getting to sort of midlife or a little beyond and just feeling like, all right, well, I'm done. And I think we continue to grow and change for as long as we draw breath. And so we don't need to sit around and deep anxiety or unworthiness or like, oh my gosh, I have to work hard enough. But we do, I think, need to be um, conscious of continually reorienting ourselves to Christ and saying, you know, Lord, what what does it look like to be faithful in this season? And what is it, you know, what do you have for me? And I think Peter's a good example of, you know, he continued to walk out this road and he continued to change. And you meet anybody at you know, whatever, 56 and compare them to that same person at 26 and they're just different. Right, right. And depending on what choices they had made in terms of, you know, people they married or places they moved or jobs, you know, they undertook, they, they could have become a myriad of different mm-hmm. people. And so, you know, sort of who we become, you know, is, is I, I want it to be shaped by the living presence of Christ. And um, so, yeah. Instead of getting to midlife and thinking, I'm done. Uh, my my crisis is that um, I've got to midlife, and my thought has been, "Oh, I should be done. Right. I should have yeah. arrived at a different place." But the same is true, right? Mm-hmm. You just continue to walk it out with Christ, right? And I, you know, I was talking to somebody else recently about, you know, you get to a certain place in your, especially. I mean, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> Somebody was saying the other day, like, oh, I'm in those training modules, you know, those HR modules about whatever that you have to do whenever you start a new job. And I was like, I do not know because I have never worked anywhere other than um, a local church. And and frankly, I mean, whatever I'll do what the Lord calls me to do, but don't want to. Um, but I, I, I do think that for we've talked about, like, you get to a certain place in ministry and then you realize, like, oh, my goodness, here's this huge fundamental thing that really matters and I don't know, like I'm a beginner and that's so embarrassing. Like it's not embarrassing to be a beginner when you're like in your twenties or when you're two years into your ministry, but when you're 25 years in and you're like, Oh, this is embarrassing. I really don't know how to be intentional about discipleship. You just feel like such an idiot. But I think for me, I just had to go like, okay, but wait a minute. The alternative is I'm going to get 25 years in and, and then be unwilling to acknowledge that, there are things I don't know and I already know everything I need to know and nothing else can, you know, add meaning and depth to my, to my life. And that, that's a bad alternative too. So I think, you know, to continue to arrive and go like, Oh gosh, you know, just the more I know, the more I recognize how little I know. And that, I mean, that could be discouraging until I recognize that I don't want to be the kind of person who says, now I'm an expert and I will forever be an expert for the rest of my life because those people are not. Um, Anyway, so 
I think that's exciting. And I'm, I mean, we can transition to what we're thinking about because I have a fourth R for that. <laughs> Wait, so, you know, at some point I have to bring this back to you, this, all this alliteration, but okay. So what are you thinking about? And, and you've got some good rants today, right? I do. Well, that's what I said is I just said we, we had taken oh, this break. Oh, is that the fourth R My fourth rant? R is okay. I just want to rant about some things um, because we've had this break and I, and things. A lot has happened. Correct. Yes. Correct. And. And I don't really want to talk about any of it. There's just been some like small things that have had outsized um, impacts on me, like just things that I'm like, this really isn't that important, and I shouldn't be this annoyed or ranty about it. But like, I, hmm. I just am, and so I have, um, I, I, I have, I have three of them. But if we got lucky, I could have a fourth. But I have three things wow. that I just want to rant about. Um, so we, we drive every holiday. We'll either drive as a family to see my husband's family or my family. And both of these trips are eight hours away. And so um, my husband is a huge country music fan. I am not. Um, but he does all the driving. And so he, he controls the music, which seems completely fair to me. That is fair. Um, and, so, and so our oldest daughter got um, Spotify premium. So when we go on car trips, my husband like hijacks it and was like, no, I'm you know, whatever. And, and she hates it because it messes with her algorithm. And and all of a sudden she's getting like nineties country classics, whatever. But so anyway, (laughs) they're all everyone. And my kids pretend they don't like it, but now they don't even pretend anymore, but they do. And cause it's real like pop country kind of stuff. And so there are these songs and like everyone's singing them, including my six year old, which is sometimes highly inappropriate. And there's this one song that they love and I mean, I don't really like any of it, but this song, like it infuriates me and it's really catchy and, it, and like, the, always, right. Always. I mean, like I, I acknowledge that it is a fun song to sing along to, but like the message and the words of this song drive me crazy. And I know that the more I show them how annoyed I am by the song, like the more I increase their <laughs> delight and I know it. And I know that I'm like, when I get annoyed about it, I just am like the, the, caricature of like a dweeb nerd like this is why nobody wants to be friends with a pastor like I know I know how I sound this is what I'm gonna say I know how I sound yes. when I'm about to tell you how annoyed I am by but this you song. still but I am believe you right you're right and I do not believe in being like the theology police right like I don't believe like walking I around and it. just being like mm, I love it you shouldn't talk this way I love except it. that like it really really I love really it. makes me mad Okay, um, this is this is this is bringing me joy. So, okay, so this song. I mean, I might not even. I I might just only what, be able to get through one. What, what, what is the name of the song? Um, so this song is by a country artist named Marin Morris, and her song is called "My Church." Oh yeah, oh yeah. And the chorus, which is catchy, the chorus is "Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get an amen? Feels like the Holy Ghost running through ya." When I play the Highway FM, I find my soul revival singing every single verse. Yeah, I guess that's my church. Okay, so it is a catchy um, chorus. And I understand, I've seen the memes that there's like this thought. I, I understand that I, nor any institutional church, we do not own God. That God is not confined to our programs, to our campus, to our control, like I understand, and I understand that people can have experiences authentic and sacred 
transcendent experiences with the Holy One in in all places. I I 100% agree. And so to say, I feel the presence of God when I, you know, driving at night with the top down, rocking out to music, and that's God. God meets me there too. Agreed. I understand. Okay? I understand. Not that anyone is going to like tweet us, but I, if that's your point, I agree. But this song makes me so mad because she says it's my church. And I'm like, this is the most American marketplace Christianity I've ever seen. Like, I agree with you. That is your church. And I'm just going to, so the verses are, I've cussed on a Sunday. I've cheated and I've lied. I've fallen down from grace a few too many times, but I find holy redemption. (laughs) When I put this car in drive, roll the windows down and turn up the dial. And then here comes the chorus. So here's what makes me mad. So first of all, her view of like, I get redemption. Redemption? When I get in my car and point it in the direction that I want to go in and determine the speed and rate of my journey and also who's in the car with me and I control what is flowing into me. So I hear what I want to hear, which is the song I already know that suits my preferences that I like. And then that's when I get a hallelujah. I don't know who's giving you a hallelujah or amen because you're alone in your car having your church service by yourself. That's my church. And I hate this idea that like, you petty people, like I'm a flawed sinner and I know it, but I'm still communing with God and you don't admit that you cuss on. I cuss on Sundays, okay? You're not special. I cuss on Sunday and every day of the week. Have I cheated? Yes. Have I lied? Yes. Like Marin, uh, same, 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 same. So then she she goes on the second verse. This is where it gets really mad. Can you tell I'm so fun on this car trip, right? When Hank brings the sermon and Cash leads the choir, it gets my cold heart burning hotter than a ring of fire. When this wonderful world gets heavy and I need to find my escape, I just keep the wheels rolling, radio scrolling, till my sins wash away. Okay, I understand that she's just singing a song and I should not be so triggered by this. I get that what a dweeb I sound like. But oh my gosh, it annoys, it it like so frustrates me that no, Marin, that is not how your sins wash away. And no, these messages that come to you from these revered white men, they actually are not presenting the gospel to you. And I'm not saying that they're awful and I'm not saying their songs are sacrilegious. I'm just saying like it is a tiniest little sliver of an edge of the truth when the revelation of the gospel. And it, I guess what bothers me about this song is I just feel like there are lots of people in the world who are casually listening to it and just being like, yeah, I agree. Like, I just think that is church for a lot of people. Like, I just want to be in a place where I can do what I want to do and I hear things that please me and I get sort of positive affirmation feedback loop and I don't need all these other stupid human beings who don't meet my emotional needs or don't have, you know, want me to be more than I am or what I like. I just, I hate that. Like the reality is it's not that you can't experience the blessing and presence of God getting in your car and driving somewhere and listening to music you like. You can, but it's not church and it's not redemptive and it's not transformative. And I just, I mean, I'm feeling very get off my lawn about it because I just feel like church I mean, it's very sacred to me. And 
Um, all of these images that we have about what church is, I just think are so unhealthy and false. And to say, like, it is inconvenient to go and gather with a community of people who challenge you and sometimes don't meet your emotional needs and sometimes make demands of you. And sometimes what you hear from the speakers is not, I love you, you're perfect, don't change. But like, actually, there's a huge gap in your understanding or how can you be at peace while your brothers and sisters are um, bearing unbearable burdens? And I don't know, like, I just think the things that you know, there, there are ways that churches are unhealthy and put people in bondage and those are antichrist, right? So if you're in a faith community that makes you feel like you have to put on a mask or pretend that you're holy or look down on other people, or you have to give more than you, you can bear, or, you know, you have to hate certain people or that fuels your anger. Like obviously those kinds of things are not the body of Christ are not the true church and you should not be a part of them. But there are ways that being in Christian community is uncomfortable that is actually deeply fruitful. And I mean, I don't know, like I know it's so stupid to be so triggered by this stupid pop 40 country song, but it just really bugs me because I think it's so true. This is how people think. Yes. Um, there is a gentleman who is a member of Dorita church and he is a mechanic, a very, very, good mechanic and he told me a story once about going with a neighbor to get a car repaired and the mechanic well actually this man is a, a truck driver um, who is that that's his primary work he happens to be a, a very good mechanic. So he went with his neighbor to get a car repaired and he became furious when, when he heard the mechanic speaking to his neighbor about what was wrong with the car. Mm -hmm. It was, well, a lot of things wrong. And he said to me, I have a hard time being in those kinds of environments because those who are not mechanics, mm -hmm. they don't hear it. They're right. not triggered by it. Right. But right. because I know what I know, I know when something is being said that's absolutely false. Right. And when it's being said to someone I know and love and care about, it makes me so angry. Right. And that's what I hear. Because of our training, we have certain kinds of we, we hear things. We hear beyond what's said. And because we care about people, we care about the church, we care about truth, uh, we, we, <laughs> we, can, we can become irritated when we hear things that are not true. Right. Because I think my, my issue is just like, I, um, I think people want to believe that's true so much. Like people well, want to. Well, for many, many years, for decades, the church actually taught people that that is true. That song is what mainline Christianity has taught. You get to Follow. live your own life your own way and hear what you want to hear that, and be affirmed. That and... the Holy Ghost mm -hmm. is a feeling running through Right, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. That when you have a sense of all is right with my world, 
I hear what I want. Mm-hmm. It like there's this sense of I'm in ev- control. I'm in control. Everything's coming together. That that is a sign that God. That is, is with a you. sign of God's favor on you. That is your church. And so, you know, we we. I mean, it was the American church that built fellowship halls and gyms. Why? Because we're 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 just a family and cozy and right and so we have actually trained people mm-hmm. to think in that direction even though like you and I know because of our training that you can't be church by yourself having a feeling that the word yeah. church in greek means ecclesia it's the called out ones it is by definition a group project and it is a group project that necessitates that you have people who are flawed, broken, right. and who rub you the wrong <laughs> it's way. It's a group project where you don't get to pick your group, right? That, that's right. Because right. I, I think that's what bothers me is this is just like such an attractive idea. And I feel like, I mean, honestly, it's not like I'm so mad that people aren't doing it right. It's like, no, we have this amazing gift in our lives, right? Yeah. Getting to be part of communities like this. When I think about my life and and really just like, almost everything that can, it's not the church, but it's God working through the church that has brought so much joy and meaning and support and wisdom and discretion and peace. And, you know, the, this community that I have been a part of, and, and I'm someone who didn't grow up in a family and that went was Christian. So if there hadn't been a community of people that was just there on a corner willing to accept some random obnoxious 14-year-old girl and come in and include them, right? Like I I just I know how deeply indebted I am to the church and I am just like even bad worship is good worship to me. Like I just love it so much. And so it's not even that I'm like, "Oh my gosh, you're doing it wrong." It's like I know that what you are peddling here sounds so good to the ears and it actually is just leading you further into self-imprisonment and isolation and people are, are depriving themselves of this great gift and this great gift doesn't require that you never get in your car and do what you want to do and hear what you want to hear it's just such an amazing um aspect of life and i think there are people who are in sincere relationship with jesus and for very good reasons, sometimes because a local body isn't accessible to them or isn't safe for them or because they've been so deeply wounded, that's just they, they are alone with Jesus. And it's not that I think that the Holy Spirit doesn't come and sanctify and give. I mean, the Spirit meets us where we are. It's just that it's so worth it to find a healthy Christian community to be a part of because there's just ways that we individually have God given limits and weaknesses that God is not going to take away. It's a God given need that can only be met in a brother or a sister. And there's just aspects of the abundant life that Jesus offers us that we cannot receive until we are in just a very ordinary, unglamorous, you know, daily, um, community with people who don't seem particularly holy or exciting or spectacular. And yet this is just what the hidden kingdom, the the secret of Jesus is, is like those kind of moments that we think are going to satisfy us and that we think are going to be um, enough. There just aren't. And I think that's just what, you know, I just, 
I think also when we think about things that are destructive, we think like, well, everything that is really destructive probably appears that way. Like it probably appears very unpalatable or it appears outright evil. Like I think most people, if they hear about, if they were to hear a song on country radio about how, about explicitly about white supremacy, they would be like, oh no, that's terrible. I don't want anything to do with that. But a song like this, I think just, I, I think that's what makes me mad is I just think people are so vulnerable and it slips in and people just don't, I don't know. I mean, I recognize I'm a geek and a nerd for hating this song so much. And I, and I, but I just really do. I'm so deeply triggered by it every time. And I just need to. Well, there's another thing that, that um, struck me about the lyrics. It's uh, taking words like redemption. Right. All the words. And forgiveness um, of sins. Yes. Hallelujah. So Amen. when you, when you take those words and you really suck the theological, the true theological meaning out of them and, Grace. A, and, a, yeah, and apply mm -hmm. them to um, an something really light. Yeah, an individual superficial. Yes, yeah. very superficial. Then I, I'm just reminded of the words of Paul to Timothy when he said something like, um, beware of those who have a form of godliness. Mm -hmm. but deny its power. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a way that we can speak of biblical things and biblical images mm -hmm. and um, in, in a way that denies the true power and meaning of them. And if we're not careful, because it's so catchy, that when you hear it in or hear them in a context in which the person intends the true biblical theological meaning, it, it's it's still cotton, it. it's still cotton candy. It, it's yeah. it's it's the the voice of Charlie Brown's teacher. Um, it, yeah, yeah, because the words have been emptied of meaning yes. before, and so mm -hmm. yeah, I and I think like that's what's so I think profoundly. I mean, underneath it is just the sadness that I think it is, and now I sound I. I've been saying lately, I feel like wherever I go, I'm either the most liberal or the most conservative person. Like, I know this sounds like a conservative culture rant line, but I mean, it just bugs me how proudly she, this song, I mean, she, I'm sure she didn't write the song. Um, you know, this song proclaims, yeah, that's my church. Like I'm special. Like I'm not a sheep. Like I am yeah. better than yeah. all, you know, yeah. like not just that, like, I don't want to be a part of this, but also just like people who do are just losers and um i i'm superior and i'm exceptional and maybe you can you know that's my church like i don't know i just well it is it is also particularly southern u.s sentiment mm -hmm. right because yeah. one of the things i've heard for many many years and i found it to be true in my own experience that um it used to be i'm not sure if it's still this way but probably isn't in, in many uh, well i don't know since the pandemic but you would move to a new town or new city Mm -hmm. And one of the first questions people would ask is, where do you go to church? Right. And so there's this sense of if you are a quote unquote good person, that you will have a church. Mm -hmm. And now in which we're in this season in which um, many people are not showing up for in-person services, many people are online. I think there is still this um, this need, this desire, uh, maybe out of pride to say I have a church, I'm still, 
you know, I'm like I'm I'm religious, but not, I'm spiritual, but not yeah. religious. That that kind I of mean, sentiment. I mean, the Church of Me is just not cute, and I do think yeah. that like there are people who worship virtually, but are still part of the church, right? Abs- oh, absolutely. Like, and I absolutely. and I think yes. so. So it's not it's not that. I mean, that's like I think the great gift of you know being a spiritual institution is that both embodiment is the but, point. But for and, those people, they can say. The church where I worship, the church where I give, the church I'm connected to is this particular right. place, and I worship with them online. Right. I'm connected to a right. body of people. Right. It is not the church of me. And right. by the way, none of us have a church. Uh, none of us died and rose for right. a church. Right. So right. The, putting my in front of a church is problematic in many ways. Yeah. No, I mean, I just, like, I'm embarrassed by how much I hate that song and how triggered I am and how much it bugs me. And I, I probably have not even scratched the surface of I can keep drilling down. And, um, but yes, that, that, that's my, my major, my major rant. And I just, you know, it was, it came up multiple times over, you know, eight hours there and back for Thanksgiving and then eight hours there and back for Christmas. And I just, you know, I, well, I can't handle it. And it so. brings me joy because I'm that person in our house and sometimes. And and usually for me, it's, um, you know, my wife will have like some TV preacher on and I will sigh or yeah. say, but uh, what about? And she'll say, oh, here comes the teacher. Right, right, right. <laughs> right? And I know. So, and I'm, I'm aware like, of that. Yes. yes because yeah. I care about you and I know something is a bit off here. And and so I, I try to keep that in check. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I... I I can identify with that right. impulse. And I get that as a pastor, it's not your job to walk around and like pass judgment on the legitimacy of other people's spiritual experiences, right? Like you're not allowed, that, that's just obnoxious. Um, but this is just wrong. It's just wrong. <laughs> it just is really wrong. And it really bothers me how popular it is. And it, I mean, and it is a very well-written song. It just conveys, I think, really harmful ideas and um, ideas that really... Um, shore up I think some of the most destructive elements in our culture right now and so I am I'm triggered I'm triggered so I don't know that's a lot of ranting for one day maybe I should save my others for for another time oh you're gonna leave us hanging wow (laughs) I mean what are you thinking about well um this this goes back um a couple of months but we've been talking about this in our house and um I've been reading, and I probably, I don't know if I should be reading these things, but, and you know me, I don't read a lot of things posted on social media, but this particular story, I've just been very interested in what people have been saying, and I surprised myself by going down the rabbit hole of reading comments, because that's that's just not my thing. Mm -hmm. I just really don't care, but the whole um, GMA scandal with Robach and TJ Holmes, so these uh, are you got to tell people who are not following. Okay, yes. Okay. Morning. So um, uh, ABC, uh, the network, uh, they have a, uh, a long-standing show uh, called Good Morning America, and um, they have uh, an afternoon version called GMA Three. Uh, they have two co-hosts, uh, Amy Robach and T.J. Holmes. Uh, T.J. Holmes is an African American man. Uh, Amy Robach is a white woman and who was married to Andrew Shu. Y- yes, yes. This is just an important uh, thing for me to know. <laughs> both both married and um someone um uh, a 
apparently hired a private investigator, at least that's the theory, and uh, discovered that they've been having an affair for some time. And so those pictures have come out, the news has come out, and the um, the network has suspended them from co-hosting the show uh, temporarily while they investigate. And uh, it's so interesting to me to read uh, the amount of anger towards them. And I, and I get that if you have ever... If you've ever been cheated on, um, that the story might trigger you. I get that. And Although, I, but I also need to say I'm not in any way condoning adultery. That, but uh, I have been a little bit down that rabbit hole. And what, I, uh, what I've read is that they were both separated from their spouses when their relationship started. Yes. And, but uh, many of the comments do not assume that. Many of the yeah. comments assume that they were not separated, that... Um, they wrecked each other's homes, blah, 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 and, and that they are horrible people and a lot of, a lot of condemnation, you know, I hope they lose their jobs, mm -hmm. um, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, I found myself, um, like just really spending more time than usual, like I said, reading those comments, ask myself, well, why, why, why am I? Um, reading this and why are people so angry? And, and of course, you you know, in this American context, you've got to factor in um, race and sexism. But I think also, um, I think the scandal broke, the story broke around the time the January 6th committee was finishing its work, completing its 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 final report and for myself I thought oh this is easier to look at this oh, is I, yeah. a, a, a celebrity sex scandal is not an existential threat to me it is yeah. much more difficult for me to really dig deep into the findings of the January 6th committee because that feels like an ominous threat, like there is something happening in the country that one, I have no control over, two, that is a, a threat to democracy. And it's very troubling to me. And I found myself reading the comments about this, um, this, scandal, celebrity scandal, um, just as a, a break from the January 6th committee. And so, yeah, yeah I've just been, been um, um, thinking about that and how it's just so easy for us as a country to do that. And that as disciples of Jesus, um, you know, at the center of our faith is Jesus on a cross, beaten, bloody, ugly, um, terrible to look at, um, uh, this object of shame and ridicule, um, the disciples ran away. Um, and I keep coming back to the truth that as disciples is if that is at the center of our faith, then we can and must look at engage hard things and going back mm -hmm. to the song, my church, you know, 
we would love to gravitate toward that um, and embrace that rather than dealing with the history of racism. Yeah. Because, well, and dealing with, but if you deal with the history of racism, you can get to, we can all get to this place of feeling like we're riding in the car with the top down, mm -hmm. singing at the top of our lungs. You can get to show Glory, hallelujah. Yeah, right. isn't it great? But it requires facing and dealing with very hard things that you have to walk out over a long period of time. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's what I'm thinking Yeah, I about. think it's really interesting. I, I read some articles about that, and I think there's just something to name that um, there's just a curiosity that is yeah. just a normal thing and these are like very pretty people yeah who, they're very good looking people um, yeah. you know and people I mean I don't know I don't watch the morning shows but they but I I think part of what we um to just be aware of is yeah how how good it feels for us to be spectators to other people's real um pain and you know these they're newscasters. So I just feel like it's 0% my business what what they do. And, I, and I'm just so, I mean, I am aware and more than I ever thought I would be as a younger person at how we all have individual marriages and yet collectively we participate in the institution of marriage. And so there is a way that, um, I mean, again, like if you told me well, this- Well, we say as part of our uh, wedding liturgy in the church- there's, there's a, um, it's either a prayer or something that's simply spoken that says, um, we, we trust that the vows, the vows said today will strengthen the vows of all who are gathered in this place. Like, oh, that's nice. I don't, you know, I, I don't mm -hmm. say that, but that's a good, yeah. I mean, but I do think, you know, it's just really interesting. Like if somebody had said that to me in my early twenties, I would have been like, that's just crazy. What are you even talking about? Like what happens in the context of my marriage has nothing to do with other people's and other people aren't responsible for my marriage. And, you know, and in a very real sense, I still think that I still believe that. And I also know that there is a way that it feels, it feels whether it is or not, it feels kind of like a threat when you hear other people's marriages, um, failing. And I also think the reality is, um, marriages are, you know, <laughs> sacred and frail. And so I think, you know, I also would have said in my twenties, like, Oh, you know, good people stay married and bad people get divorced. Or I would have said, okay, if a divorce happens, it's because one person is good and one person is bad. And I think you, you get further along and you just realize like, Oh my goodness, like people that you love, somehow just, you know, there are just so many marriages I know where I just genuinely um, see and honor the humanity of both people and there's no side to be taken and it's just so painful. And I think um, it's just, I think that's what, you know, is sort of the takeaway for me about that whole situation is I just think, you know, these are grown humans and I don't know what their values around marriage or sexuality is. And they certainly don't answer to me. And I just certainly don't know why they would answer to their employer, but I do suppose on a larger sense, they answer to the American public. And so then again, just how we claim so self-righteously, sorry, to be a Christian nation. And then when we are confronted with human frailty, 
you know, it's just, we are ready with the stocks and the rotting vegetables and that we're just not really conformed at all to a savior who was astonishingly gentle, um, to vulnerable people, even when people were made vulnerable by their own, um, sin. And that sin isn't something that we as humans can avoid. Like, you know, it both matters <laughs> that we avoid it. It both matters that we are, are intentional about trying to practice righteousness. And also I'm a sinner and, and, and I can't, you know, it's not cute. <laughs> and so, um, it, yeah, I, I just, I think that's really interesting. And I, um, I just feel for, I think sometimes we just don't recognize that we don't know these people and, just having forbearance. Like I suppose it, I don't know. The only other thing I would say is, man, the way that we publicly talk about these folks who we don't know certainly affects whether or not anybody would feel safe coming to us in vulnerability and saying like, Oh my goodness, I'm suffering or I've really messed up or I've destroyed my life and I don't know what to do or where to turn. And if they see us, um, you know, sort of virtually um, pillaring a celebrity, then we're just telling them that we're not a safe person and that we'll attack and excoriate them and that our Christian communities actually are not places where we practice or honor redemption. They're places where we, um, you know, punish people. So just good. So what are you preaching about this week? Well, um, it's Friday. <laughs> and to be honest, part of me is still figuring that out because, um, you know, I had a rough week last week, end of last week, I was really sick and I should not have preached this past Sunday. I went sick and I just made it worse and I, I did not operate in wisdom and so was not feeling well the early part of this week. And so I started looking for people to preach and I'm, I didn't find anyone, and so um, uh, yesterday I decided, oh, I, I should probably start getting ready for Sunday. And I have, like so many people, um, passages, of, passages of Scripture that I just love, and I'm also thinking about um, myself in terms of this life struggle and so many of the situations of the people in the church that I know are just really going through a hard time right now. And so the, the passage that has bubbled up in my spirit, um, that place in Matthew, um, I believe Matthew 14, um, where Jesus uh, calms uh, a storm, uh, the disciples are in a storm tossed boat. And um, I have over the years, I've preached that text several times, and I'm thinking about going back to it um, this week. Um, I just love so many of those um, gospel stories that show Jesus both in his power and compassion. Mm -hmm. I think for my own soul, that's, that's one way I'm drawn to Jesus. If Jesus mm -hmm. were raw power... Um, I would probably, it, <laughs> the fear and distance <laughs> would be the words. And yeah. if Jesus were 
all compassion. Um, I, 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 I don't know how to feel about that, but, but when I see, when I hear these stories, uh, read these stories and, and meditate on these stories of Jesus that show both his compassion and his power, I am drawn to him. And it, it brings me a level of both um, comfort but also strength to take the next step. Yeah, I think what's interesting about the righteousness of Jesus in contrast to what we were just talking about is he just, it's, he is not offended by human frailty. And so I think that is just so evident in that story that both he can name, I don't know, I mean, there's several versions of that story in the different gospels. And I'm, I will confess that I don't necessarily have in terms of my head, which, which elements are in which version, but you know, when he says like, you know, I'm, I'm here with you or, you know, have, are you of little faith? Do you have such a little faith? Like he's acknowledging, like, if you, if you understood, if you were more mature, you wouldn't be afraid. And yet he's not mad at them. He's just naming that truth. And I, I really appreciate that. And that passage, I know that passage is particularly, um, meaningful to you. And, and you actually, um, after my, father died in November of 2020 you um sent like filled in for me um and we were worshiping virtually then but you preached that text and I just remember like I had gone home and I didn't I, I did not know that he was going to die and and he had died that Saturday night and on Sunday morning I just got up and um was like with my community like silently but with my community and like worshiping with them and it was a video and it had that sermon in it and it just I mean I very much remember um because it was just a hard I mean obviously it's awful when someone you love dies and then also there's the secondary pain of just like people are hurting and so just things get intensified and exacerbated and so there's just like just so much pain and sorrow and grief and it felt very much like a storm and I remember you preaching about like hey the storm is around you but it's not in you and that Jesus is with you and so you even you can't get out of the storm but you can have the peace of Christ and that was just such a helpful I mean it was I mean it was just one of those moments when you're listening to something and you could just feel something supernaturally wow. shift in I mean it was just so yes I can, and so I think maybe that, I should just preach that. Sermon you should. <laughs> I mean, I think there are sometimes there are just moments where a, where a, a revelation, a story, a piece of scripture yes. means something so profoundly transcendent yeah. to you that there's just a way that you can proclaim that message that no yeah. one else can. And yeah. I think that that is one of those places yeah. for you. And um, so, yeah, I think that that's good. And I think you already know what to say. And I think, you know, it's Friday and I think, like as a preachers, every preacher listens, listening knows like it's such a weird life in so many ways because most people are winding down on Fridays and Fridays we're winding up. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> got to get yeah, ready yes. to like really um, work this out. So that that's great. So what are you preaching? I am preaching uh, Matthew 14. We are... Um, Same chapter. I know, right after that. Um, we, every January return, have a practice um, in recent seasons of returning to our mission as a community. And it's a three-part mission, inviting all to serve and come alive in Christ. And so we look at each element of our mission um, to sort of re, um, you know, review it and then recommit and reorient around it. And so... There you go again with the alliteration. I know, uh, but wow. not, uh, not in a sermon. But... Um, just flows. 
I've got bars. <laughs> I know that's really wrong. Okay, so great. Okay. Um, but I, yeah, so I'm looking at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the, he and the disciples are ministering to the crowd all day. That's a great story. Predominantly, obviously, Jesus and teaching. And so there's the spiritual teaching. And I think, and the disciples really understand like, okay, this is who we are. We're learners of this guy and this is what he's doing. He's, you know, revealing the truth about who God is and, and ministering to people spiritually. And then, um, and then the the hunger of the people is acknowledged and the disciples are just sort of like, yeah, this isn't our problem. Like, <laughs> this isn't my assignment. Send them away so they can take care of themselves. And Jesus says, like, no, you take care of them. And I think it's sort of for a community to understand that both, I think that a lot of churches, I mean, I know American churches, I, you know, tend to get wrong. Either they take really serious their spiritual work or they take really seriously their corporal embodied work and it's really hard to find a congregation that deeply understands that it's all spiritual and that to to meet someone's physical need is to meet their spiritual needs and to meet their physical needs without meeting their spiritual needs is to leave them hungry and just to understand that we are a spiritual community incarnate and so we you know the wholeness of humans is is what we're called to see and those needs we are called to meet but not on our own and so that just the ridiculous finite scarcity of what the disciples have to offer you know becomes enough through the glory of christ um and just living out that discomfort. And I also particularly like in the story, and not to be a jerk about it, but like I just think people really need to recognize that, I mean, this is such a pattern and I see it in myself and I see it in the people around me that it's just easy to walk into a situation and be like, oh, they need that. And then to go to someone else and be like, you need to meet that need or they need to meet that need. And to really recognize like if you see a need, you need to sit with for a moment with, is it the Lord that has shown me this? And and what is my faithful response to this need? Because it's not always to tell people to go fix themselves or to turn to local authority or spiritual leader and say, you do it, right? So this, and, and to be fair, like they weren't asking Jesus to meet the need. They were asking Jesus for permission to send these people away. Correct. And so I think just to play with that dynamic in a spiritual community of how do we understand uh, the people around us and the, both within and outside of the community. And what does it mean to have abundance in Jesus? And how do we act like there's limits to that? I remember preaching that text um, years ago. Um, I was serving New Friendship Church. And uh, there was a woman in the congregation, uh, one of our guests that Sunday. And um, she had this vision um, her name's Sandy Tilly. She had this vision of starting a soup kitchen oh, yeah. in Huntersville. And she um, was there that Sunday. And I think this is the only time anyone in the history of my preaching has ever quoted me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> she said one of her favorite quotes is from a sermon I preached on that text. And um, the quote was do not let the size of your resources determine the size of your vision. Yeah. 
And she said, I needed to hear that because I was struggling with getting the soup kitchen started. And that's exactly what I needed. Yeah. No, that's really cool. And Angels and Sparrows and Soup it's Kitchen. Still, like, it it's has huge. been in existence for mm-hmm. 10 years, more than that, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And it's met a huge need in this community. And I do think like it's such a perfect manifestation of, I think, in a healthy church. I mean, yes, there are sort of organized, planned responses to the mission, but it's also people are in that space because they both individually and collectively are walking that out. And so there's just ways that people recognize, like, it's not that my church needs to do this. It's, this is my call. Like I am able to hear how the Lord is speaking directly to me about how, what this looks like in my, my one wild precious life. So, um, y'all have spent enough of your one wild precious life listening to us talk. Although we are just so grateful and surprised, surprised, <laughs> shocked, astonished is the word. And, and um, that that folks are listening. And I guess the one thing that we did want to say is we we um, are like. Uh, proud amateurs in this whole forum and so we never say like like us and rate us and share our podcast but you are sharing the podcast and, Thank you. and we're really grateful and also um encouraged and if there are things that you um would like us to cover on this podcast like we are just really really interested and open to hearing that. So maybe you're not. <laughs> That's fine too. Um, we promise we're not going to start selling merch. There will be no ads. But if you are saying like, T-shirts, hey, I'm really... coffee mugs. Nope, none of that. Um, <laughs> just listen and uh, share. That'd be awesome. But um, if, if there's something in particular you'd like to um, hear us talk about, we, we'd really love to do that. So um, I, we don't have any easy way for you to do that. But here's where you can reach out to us at our churches if you want to find out more about what is happening at God's Church to write a Presbyterian church, or if you want to let Yolanda know what he should talk about on the podcast, um, you can go to uh, their website, which I'm never going to get, www.derida.faithlifesites. I'm done. Nope, I just nope. stop. It is derida, D-E-R-I-T-A, church.faithlifesites, S-I-T-E-S dot com. Gosh, I'm going to get it one day. Or you can check out the Derida podcast on Podbeam or their YouTube channel, or you can go there in person and worship with them at 11 o'clock or on their live stream at 11 o'clock yes. um, on Facebook. And if you would like to know on the website, on the website, just kidding. Um, and if you would like to find out more about what uh, the Lord is doing at his church, The Grove, um, you can go to our website, which is thegrovecharlotte.org. You can sign up for our newsletter, which is going out late today. Uh, you can check out our YouTube channel or our um, podcast, um, wherever you get podcasts. Wherever. You can get our podcast. Just um, There's a lot of groves out there, so look for the one with the um, green tree, The Grove Charlotte, um, The Grove Presbyterian. And thanks so much. Oh, and worship with us at 10 on Sundays. You are so welcome, wildly even welcome to worship with us at 10 o'clock. Wear clothes. That's the dress code. Wear clothes. Um, so thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. 